0: perfect home sweet home
3: The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio.
4: Welcome to the Large Neutron Collider, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how super excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me as always is the super fantastic Jonathan Strickland.
3: Thank you for that lovely introduction, Ariel. And in return, I have a question for you. Okay, so this is a scenario question for those of us who are familiar with my alter ego quizster from Ridiculous History, you've agreed to do a 24-hour charity marathon in which you will be playing a video or computer game for the entire duration. Same game for all 24 hours, allowing for breaks for food and bathroom breaks and that kind of stuff. Which game do you choose?
4: asking me to do some big things, Jonathan, Uh, I guess I'm going to say Desert Bus because that is legit a thing that already happens, and I have always wanted to be a part of it. Um, Desert Bus is a video game created by Penn & Teller where you drive a bus real time across the desert and it veers slightly to One Direction. But they uh, every year, a bunch of internet personalities get together and, and drive it in Marathon to raise money uh, for the Child's Play Foundation, which I think is really cool and I've always wanted to be a part. It's not the game I'd pick for funness. That would probably be Mass Effect or Minecraft with my mother. But... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'd do. What would I, you do? I think,
3: and just to stick on Desert Bus for a second, I think it takes like 17 hours to make the trip one way. It's I think it's Los Angeles to Las Vegas.
4: And if you crash, if you veer off the road too far, you get a flat tire and you get towed all the way back to the beginning in real yes. time.
3: So and so. You're, you can't just set the computer to, to go in a straight direction and walk away because as Ariel said it pulls a little to the right. So you're constantly having to correct for that. So it was made to be irritating and pointless and you get one point every time you go from one city to the other, it just takes hours to do it. For me, well, first of all, I actually have done this a couple of times. Uh, I've done it for charity for, uh, for the Children's Hospital of Atlanta. And both times I played Minecraft for 24 hours straight. I built stuff in the world based upon the donations I got. So if people donated, I would build a a monument to them that was uh, fitting for whatever the level of donation was. But if I were to do it again, I think I would actually do Stardew Valley because I find that game really, really like chill. And I'm just curious how far I could get in just... Like, if I started a brand new game and had 24 hours to go, how much could I get done?
4: But if it were really chill, wouldn't you uh, fall asleep during that 24
3: hours? I mean, there's always a danger, but then that can also happen in the game. And if you fall asleep while you're out and about in Stardew Valley, you wake up either... uh, Well, you wake up back at home, but someone has rifled through your pockets and taken all your money. So... (laughs)
4: Oh, goodness. Well, not, I didn't know. Not was all that, of it, um, but a good portion
3: interest. of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, you learn some hard life lessons. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> gotcha. we got that answered. Well, we should probably just segue right into the show. And we wanted to start off, you know, we went gaga for WandaVision when it debuted on Disney mm. Plus. And now the next uh, miniseries from Disney Plus has started, that being Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And we thought we would do a attempt check to see what we each thought of the first episode because we have each watched it. So what did you think, Ariel?
4: Um, It was good. It wasn't, it, it was a lot more serious and I didn't enjoy it quite. It wasn't quite as fun as WandaVision for me, Um, but I did enjoy it. They did some really cool things with cinematography. Uh, they had some people in squirrel suits doing some, some like paragliding, I guess it would be called like mm-hmm. point plane, plane jumping. And they would put the same sort of body cam on them as they would on the Falcon, which I thought was just really cool. It, ma- it made it feel so much more real to mm-hmm. me um, to see the superhero flying around. Um, there were some cool little minor character drops in there that I kind of spoiled. I'm I'm pretty sure I know how some things are going to turn out based on those spoilers that I spoiled for myself. Um and it, it also dealt with uh, – Marvel's been doing a really good job with their properties lately of, of dealing with the repercussions of the snap and little things you don't think about. Like the little things that happened in the five years between your disappearance and your reappearance. And they did that in Falcon and Winter Soldier in a really cool way. So I liked it. I, I'm looking forward to the next episode. It just wasn't quite as fun as WandaVision for me. Uh,
3: I agree that it wasn't as fun, but I loved it. I absolutely loved that episode. I loved how they are taking their time establishing the characters and what their current conflicts are. And so far in the series, the two main characters haven't haven't teamed up at all. They are in their separate mm-hmm. storylines. But those storylines are really compelling and um I would even say like the Falcons is more compelling to me than the winter soldiers. I mean, the winter soldier is dealing with massive amounts of guilt for the things he did as, you know, a weapon in the hands of Hydra. He's, he's trying to cope with that. The Falcon is trying to help rescue his family's business. Whereas his sister is being much more pragmatic and trying to do what's best for her family. The Falcon doesn't want to let go of the past and um i feel like this show is also doing some great stuff in that it is addressing and not in a super heavy-handed way but addressing things like systemic racism the practice of redlining mm-hmm. things that have disproportionately affected people of color and you know in this world you're seeing that that stuff happens even for the people who are superheroes same sort of thing where you know the falcon um spoilers, I guess, if you haven't watched it yet. So skip ahead a little bit if you haven't watched Falcon and Winter Soldier. But he voluntarily hands over Captain America's shield because he doesn't feel he's ready to take on that mantle. And then the impression he's given is that this is going to be held as an object of reverence. But then by the end of the first episode, it's shown that there is a new Captain America that they chose someone who happens to be extremely white and it's not, so it's not Sam. And that also feels like it's another kind of way of dealing with, you know, here's a country that you've got this heroic figure who was, who was given everything to, to serve his country and his country is not reciprocating. And I think that that's really compelling too. So I really like that first episode. I'm hopeful that the whole series kind of holds up to this let's kind of move on i think we've got a lot of superhero stuff to talk about in fact it's almost all exclusively superhero stuff
4: yeah and we want to talk about other superhero stuff it's just been some super heavy superhero weeks so the first thing is the other geeky thing i watched this weekend was the snyder cut
3: oh yeah from the Um. justice league
4: of the Justice League. So,
3: uh, so you all- spent four hours and two minutes of your life doing that.
4: I spent six hours and like ten minutes of my life doing it because I kept having to stop and go, wait, when did that happen? Where is this? Mm-hmm. What? Was this in the first one? Oh, I have to pee. Oh, I need a snack. Yeah, it took me more like six hours to watch it. but um, And I took a walk in the middle. Uh, just so I wouldn't be a couch potato all day. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. So... Yay, Snyder, but you know, one of the things I thought about it was while it's getting such good reviews, and, and not completely across the board, but it's getting a lot of really good reviews, and I enjoyed it more than I could. Is there a potential that they might try to bring back more of, of the, the Snyder verse? You know, he he set up a lot at the end of the, the four hour movie, and then we got articles saying no, Yeah,
3: Warner Brothers that's not Warner Brothers have, have essentially said there this that is the conclusion of the Snyder trilogy so setting up stuff like Martian Manhunter is to no avail because we're probably not going to see that version in future DC I mean the we'll price we might see the character but maybe not that version of the character in future DC movies um so I st- I have not watched the Snyder cut as of yet um I just haven't set aside the time to do it uh I've seen conflicting reviews. I've seen some people who said it's different, but not necessarily any better than the Whedon cut. I've seen others who have said it's more coherent than the Whedon cut. Like things make more sense, but it's not, uh, you know, the, the, the quippy stuff is, is toned way, way, way down. Um, so I've seen a lot of different things. Uh, I, I, I don't have a dog in this fight, honestly. Like to me, I have a feeling that there's just nothing they could have done that would have made me really interested simply because this was the continuation of storylines that I already didn't like. So there really wasn't any way of them going forward that I was going to be totally on board. That's, that's my deal. I'm not saying they're bad movies, just saying they didn't appeal to me. Um, but we,
4: I, you see, I, I felt like they each had, some benefits over the other. So each, each, each had some blind spots that I felt like the other one might've addressed.
3: Yeah. And almost all the, the reviews I saw did say that while, uh, the, the film moves along fairly well, it, it is too long. Um, although it helps that they've broken it up into chapters. So it feels almost more like a mini series (laughs) that does a full movie.
4: And I think maybe that's the way Snyder needs to tell his stories. Mm. Because he does have a hard time. He's got so much story he wants to tell almost always. And my biggest problem with him is trying to fit too much story into too little time. So maybe he just needs to start getting some high-budget miniseries Yeah, Maybe going. we
3: need to like somehow do our own LNC mashup of Peter Jackson and Snyder. Because Peter Jackson took The Hobbit, a, a book that doesn't have that much story, and stretched it. And then Snyder's trying to cram too much story into too small of a form factor. Somewhere mm. in the middle is the sweet spot. Um, somewhere in the middle is a sweet spot,
4: but you know, WB and, and DC do have plans to continue the universe. Maybe we will get Martian Manhunter. I really liked his design and I love that actor. Um, but we are getting a Zatanna movie. Yeah.
3: She's a magician character who has, uh, a lot of history in the, in the DC universe. So that's really exciting. And Emerald Fennel is writing it. She's the one who wrote promising young woman. I'm guessing, Ariel, you have not seen that movie.
4: I haven't. I wanted to, and then it just fell off my <sighs> radar. It's, you know. I mean, it's,
3: it's, I, it, it's it, a brilliant it, film. It's a heavy movie. It's a brilliant film.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It, it, it is a heavy film. <laughs> it, it's dealing with some yeah. heavy stuff, but a brilliant movie. And so interesting that, that someone who wrote something so visceral and heavy is now writing a like a superhero script.
4: Well, you know, Zatanna is often a part of, you know, kind of the dark, dark universe DCs. That's so, true. she
3: along, she with has the hookup with Constantine and yeah. Mm-hmm. Also one and, thing, other, the other thing that we didn't mention, but I just want to give a quick shout out to is that despite the fact that we got a Snyder cut of Justice League, it looks like we're not going to get an air cut of Suicide Squad. So the Suicide no. Squad that we got, the theatrical cut, that's the only version that we ever expect to see. And uh, I have feelings about that, too. I don't know that I would have liked the Suicide Squad original version. I definitely didn't like the one that came out, uh, but I'm I'm guessing that. But I'm very much looking forward to the yeah, new one. Well, yeah, because that's going to be. Yes, that's that's going to be handled by someone who can tell a story and hopefully not have it <laughs> chopped up by a movie trailer studio, because that's what happened to the first one. Um, switching yeah. back over to Marvel, though, we have another quick Disney Plus announcement, which is that. Uh, there is a uh, already an announcement of a spinoff of a series that hasn't even come out yet, right? So Hawkeye yes. is getting a spinoff before Hawkeye even comes out on Disney+.
4: And this one should make you really happy because the spinoff is about Echo, uh, aka Maya Lopez, who is a Native American woman who is hearing impaired. She usually shows up as a supporting character in Daredevil. Yes who you have been wanting to come back so bad.
3: Yes, I would love to see Daredevil return to the MCU. Uh, I really think I think that the first season in particular of Daredevil, it really set the stage for some incredible Marvel series. Now, granted, the Marvel series we got post Daredevil and Punisher and all those have not been nearly as um, bloody (laughs) as Daredevil was Mm -hmm. for good reason. But I would love to see Daredevil brought back in. Echo has a superpower where she's able to uh, copy the fighting style of whomever she's going up against, which makes her very similar to a character named Taskmaster, who is the villain that will be appearing in the Black Widow movie, assuming we ever get it.
4: We will. We will. There's news that that's probably going to come out on D plus and in theaters at the same time. Um, That's. Wasn't on our list of news items, but it did come out this week. Uh, and the last news item we have is about a comic book series called Preserver. Yeah,
3: there are no vowels. B
4: R Z R K R. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> vowels are for other heroes. Yeah, this is a, a comic book yes. series that was uh, created by Keanu Reeves, and he, of course, has been attached to appear in both a live-action film and an animated series that are uh, both have been optioned from this comic book series. And uh, the the short version of it, Ariel and I decided that it's John Wick meets the Highlander because it's it's a or 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 Vandal Savage. No one knows who that is or the Highlander <laughs> Highlander. So yeah, immortal, maybe. immortal warrior type who at this point is just looking for a way to get some rest.
4: Mm -hmm. So the comic was originally kickstarted and it was produced by Boom Studios. And I actually I looked up Boom Studios because I'm not always super familiar with some of the smaller comic houses. But Boom Studios has done some comics that I like, specifically the Buffy series. I've really enjoyed those. Like
3: season eight and season nine and that kind of stuff, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited to learn more about all of these things. Um, You know, I'm still kind of curious about why Ayer wouldn't get a. Suicide Squad uh, recut. I mean, with the with the success of the Snyder cut, I would have thought that might lead to other possibilities. That does not appear to be the case. Maybe if there's enough uproar, there will be. Uh, I, I honestly don't care enough. I'm just curious what Suicide Squad originally was going to be and whether or not I would have liked it. I don't think I would, but I definitely don't like the theatrical one, so... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but
4: mm-hmm. again, there were there were some things I liked, but overarchingly, yeah. I did not.
3: Now, yeah. one thing that Ariel and I both like is to wallow in the good old nostalgic entertainment that we enjoyed years and years ago. And it turns out we're not alone. But we're going to talk more about that after we take this quick break.
1: This is it. Your moment.
2: All right,
4: we're back. And as Jonathan said, we're going to talk a little bit about nostalgia. So this week uh, it was announced that Family Matters viewership soared about 400% in 2020, (laughs)
3: Um,
4: which is amazing. Family Matters is one of my favorite sitcom shows. Um, and so I was super excited to hear this news. And it's one I, I feel like has transcended time a little bit because even even kids nowadays uh, know who Steve Urkel is, right? And he was a big pop culture nerd who was oftentimes very unapologetically nerdy. And I feel like he kind of introed the way into the geekdom we have now. Um, so that was really awesome. But apparently, like... Because we haven't had a lot of new media, people are just watching their old favorites over and over and over I, again.
3: I think that's part of it. And I think another part of it is that there is so much comfort to be found in watching something that uh, you're already familiar with, right? Like, I don't know, Ariel, has this ever happened mm-hmm. to you where, let's say you've got some spare time, you want to watch something, you take a look at the stuff that's on your queue. There's a ton of stuff you've never seen before. But- you find yourself drawn to something that you've watched a bazillion times already?
4: Yes. Yes. And it's oftentimes when I want something a little distracting, but I don't have to pay a whole bunch of attention to. So I've done it with friends. I've done it with the office. I've done it with, uh, family matters, full house, Schitt's Creek, how I met your mother. Yep. All those. I'll just put it on. I've watched it a thousand times and I'll just put it on because it's, it's like going home to family. Yeah,
3: well, for me, it's <laughs> going home to a dysfunctional family because I think of it's always f- sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> is one of my go tos. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm the same way where like, like it gets there's a whole meme about this, right? About the idea that you've mm-hmm. got like 500 titles on uh, on your list of things you've never seen and they're readily available. They're just a click away or a remote button push away or whatever. All you have to do is start it. And instead you are like, well, let's rewatch season three of the great British bake off or whatever. Um,
4: Oh, I can't do that one. I'm so invested in the bakes and I'm always trying to learn something new. Like I have to, I have to like, I don't mean
3: to, I don't mean to get off track already, but Ariel, you know, recently I have spent a lot of time looking up just clips, not of British bake off, but of master chef, just clips of people doing really well. Because I don't like the parts where people fail, <laughs> so so it's mm-hmm. like I'm watching just I'm watching a show where nobody does anything wrong. Everyone always is on their A game and impressing Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> that's that's the master <laughs> chef that exists in my world. That's, that's
4: really interesting to me because you don't want to watch anybody fail, but your go to comfort show is always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is just. All failure, yes, but th-
3: th- those are time. awful human beings who deserve terrible things to happen to them. Right. Like it's <laughs> like that, that's, and it's all fictional. Mm-hmm. I can, I can enjoy that. In fact, for a long time, I wasn't able to enjoy it because I have a thing about cringe humor. I'm not, I'm not super fond of it, but for me, the cringe comes in when I have a great deal of empathy or sympathy for a character. And I don't want to see Mm -hmm. terrible things happen to that character. It's always sunny freed me of this terrible burden by making all the characters reprehensible. So you want to see (laughs) terrible? like for the longest time, I didn't want anything bad to happen to Charlie because in the first season, Charlie's Charlie just seems to be downtrodden. He doesn't seem to be bad. But then as you get a little further in, he is terrible.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As I mentioned, all the shows that I tend to go back to, are all sitcoms, but they're more lighthearted mm-hmm. sitcoms, but still the, the humor in those shows does come mainly from people's failure.
3: Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the thing though. That's usually where comedy comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Comedy usually comes in where like it, mm-hmm. the, the saying is you stub your toe, it's a tragedy. You walk off the edge of a cliff and it's a comedy kind of thing where it, it mm-hmm. it's, it's this idea of subverting expectations and typically setting people up to have whatever thing they were trying to achieve fall through in a unexpected way and that leads to the comedy but and then how they handle that also leads to the comedy but i am curious like yeah. are there any particular titles that you really leaned on heavily during pandemic where we just didn't have the opportunity to get out or was it just the sort of the ones you had already kind of listed off
4: um i i think I, so I did go through a bunch of shows that I hadn't had the chance to watch. I like I I made myself take some discipline, and I I, I said here are the series, here are the movies that I've wanted to watch during pandemic, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. do that. But then when that was done, when I'm like getting ready for bed and I'm just trying to shut off my brain, or if I've had a particularly rough day and I just want just something chill, I think it's it's been. The Office, which is really weird because when I first started watching The Office, I did not like it. I didn't. The entire first season where they're trying to be The British Office, I felt, I thought it was mean-spirited and belabored. Um, And then you get into the second season and everybody starts to have growth. And there's still episodes of The Office that are largely cringy that I can't stand Mm -hmm. to watch. But, um, like, it's it's... I'm so familiar with it at the point. And part of it is cause my husband also will put it on and just watch it. Um, so I'm f- so familiar with it that I kind of tune out those episodes or those moments that really make yeah. me cringe and tune in on my favorite moments. We also, uh, rewatched Buffy and are currently rewatching Farscape.
3: Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I did a little bit other than a little bit of, well, and I haven't, to be perfectly fair, I haven't watched any of It's Always Sunny during pandemic. It's just, that was my go-to for a while when I wanted to watch something that I had already seen in the pandemic, the stuff I've watched the most, actually, you know what? I haven't watched that much television programming. I watched a lot of stuff that creators were making either on Twitch or YouTube or whatever. But when I was, whenever I would watch uh, television, it tended to be Uh, British comedy series, which is terrible because you'll go through them in like two days and then you just got to start over Mm -hmm. again. So uh, (laughs) Garth Marenghi's dark place. If you've never seen that, it's bonkers crazy. The premise is that there is a Stephen King like writer named Garth Marenghi who has an extremely high opinion of himself. He's a dream weaver and there's a television series that was created. It's a fake TV series, but the idea is that it's a television series that was created from his works and he being the egotistical person that he is stars in it as the main character. Um, and it has a lot of, of British comedy actors in it that you would recognize from other stuff. Like Richard Iawade is in it. Uh, Matt Berry is in it. Um, it is a very silly take of, uh, Stephen Merchant is in a couple of episodes. Um, Noel Fielding mm-hmm. is in a couple. So yeah, it's, it's a really but
4: British British actors are all in. Yeah, everything, It's a small so. group
3: of, of a really tightly knit group, but it's, it's really, it's really silly. It's ridiculous. Like it's, it's really making fun of like early eighties British TV and the limitations on things like special effects, but everyone's treating it like it's the most cutting edge stuff ever. And the other one I watched a couple times through uh, was The Mighty Boosh, another British comedy series. At least that one has four series or four seasons. So a little extra to watch in that one. Um, Very, very weird series as well. Uh, But yeah, those were kind of like my go tos. And it was because, I mean, I'd seen them all so many times. I can still get enjoyment, even though I know exactly what's coming. Because the quality of the performances and the weird writing, the British humor is just so strange, um, which is one of the reasons I love it so much. Those were my go-tos.
4: I like going to nostalgic things a little bit because it brings back those feelings of before being stuck in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So I think about, you know, watching these, these older shows and I, I go back like, I, I I think about going out and hanging out with my friends and watching it or talking about the episodes, and it's kind of like a little mini brain vacation. Yeah,
3: one thing I I had thought about doing, I just never got around to doing, was doing like you know like a Netflix watch party because that capability is built right in to a lot of the Netflix apps. But I never coordinated with friends to do that to kind of watch something collectively and then talk about it. And I think part of the reason for that is that it it just feels like everything we do is through zoom or Mm -hmm. teams or, you know, some other video conferencing system. So it ends up feeling more like work than socializing and it just ends up being exhausting. At least that's my armchair personal psychology approach to why I haven't done anything. Mm
4: -hmm. Now I I get it. Um, I've done, I've, I've done a few watch parties and we tend to just do it on voice we watch the tv on whatever streaming platform we're using most of them have a watch party feature now um and then we'll connect on discord or over the phone and we'll just chat throughout it because yeah like I, you know me i love being in front of a camera but it's just relaxing to be able to just sit and talk and not have to worry about making eye contact or how I look or if I've got pizza yeah. in my teeth or
3: it's, it is tough to make eye contact because it means you're looking into a camera, not actually looking at the picture of the person you're mm-hmm. talking to, which is usually several inches yeah. below yeah. where of the camera is. But yeah, I mean like I, I totally get the whole nostalgic comforting experience. There's some element of ritual there too. Like the idea mm-hmm. of, doing something you've done before and being able to go through it. You already know what to expect. There's not going to be any surprises. So nothing's going to tax you psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um I I get all that. So I'm not really super surprised to see that these numbers are are so high. Um mm-hmm. and good for them. I mean, it's yeah. and good for all the people who are discovering stuff for the first time. Like there're younger audiences who may be watching this kind of stuff for the first time ever. So I hope that they're enjoying it.
4: Well, you know, I think good shows tend to come around. You know, they they might be dated, but they also have timeless concept and and relatable humor, no matter the age. For instance, one of the shows that had great viewership was The Andy Griffith Show. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Dated by the time I watched it.
3: (laughs) I was amazed that Jabberjaw wasn't on there because that's a real work of art.
4: You know, I don't know if you're joking or not, but I actually did enjoy Jabberjaw. So
3: it was between Jabberjaw and Great Ape that I was going to say. I
4: liked them both. (laughs) And Droopy Dog and Wacky Races and all that. Snagglepuss.
3: Now, you know what else I liked? What? Charlie Brown.
4: Me I still like Charlie Brown.
3: Me too. You know how much I like Charlie Brown?
4: How much, Jonathan?
3: Enough to mash him into somebody else.
4: That's so mean. Yeah, but
3: you're the one who picked it. So we're going to do a mashup after the break where we take Charlie Brown and mash up Charlie Brown with a classic English literature literary figure. I bet you'll never guess who it is who lives at 221 B Baker Street. Well, you gave it away now.
4: We'll be right back. (laughs)
0: Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com.
3: Okay, we are back. And uh, yeah, we, we chose to mash up Sherlock Holmes and Charlie Brown. And to give you guys a little bit of a a behind the scenes view of how these sort of things come together. uh, Usually we look at the news and see if there's anything in the news where we can mash stuff up. But obviously this time we were covering so much superhero stuff and we're like, we've done a lot of superhero. And we've done so many superhero mashups. Yeah. So we started kind of thinking outside of that and saying, well, let's just pick two things that we wouldn't normally put together and figure out how would we do that? And um, so Sherlock Holmes is one we settled on pretty quickly, but then we had to figure out what the other one was. And my initial reaction was dumb because I was like, oh, Scooby-Doo. But then you're like, but that that's already like two things that do the same thing.
4: Yeah. And, and then you said Smurfs and I was like, well, then all we're going to be doing is replacing every third word with Smurf and we're both going to do
3: hilarious. it.
4: When, when one person does it, when two people do it, <laughs> It's a, a bit smurfing much.
3: It would have been 15 minutes of smurfing.
4: <laughs> we're a family show, Jonathan. Oh, I'm of. sorry.
3: I didn't mean smurfing. I meant smurfing. Smurfing. Yeah.
4: Okay. So then I said, well, what about Charlie Brown? Because, you know, we're talking about nostalgia.
3: Yeah. And so, So for those who don't know who either of these are, Where have you been? Sherlock Holmes, obviously famous detective created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Lots of stories, four novels written by Conan Doyle and multiple novels written by other people since then. Uh, Been in series and films. Everyone knows who Sherlock Holmes is. Uh, And then you have Charlie Brown, famous comic strip character made by Charles Schultz, uh, star of beloved specials and cartoons. So things like, you know, the the the. Charlie Brown Christmas special is still one of my favorite cartoons of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the great
4: pumpkin, Charlie Brown, another
3: fantastic one. One of my favorites. So yeah, something that also
4: comes back around because it's had a movie recently.
3: Yeah, that's true. So let's, let's see. Uh, who do you, who do you want to go first?
4: Mm, Golly. Um, I, I guess I can.
3: (laughs) That's the confidence I like to hear.
4: (laughs) Rearing and ready to go. All right. Sherlock Holmes in The Great Pumpkin Taketh Away. One brisk fall evening on 221 Baker Street, Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson got a mysterious letter. It stated Please, Mr. Holmes and Mr. Watson, come to the Brown House, St. Paul, Minnesota. We have something dark and mysterious going on here, and we need your help desperately. Signed S. Brown. Surprised and egotistically delighted, Sherlock immediately packed up and headed for America, bringing Dr. Watson begrudgingly in tow. A day later, the two masterminds walked up to the door of a modest house with yellow—maybe it was white, maybe blue—siding. They rang the bell, but no one answered. They rang again. Finally, a young boy with an oddly round head and a furrowed brow came out. He hesitantly began to introduce himself. Hi, I'm Charlie Brown, can I help you? But all of a sudden he stopped, stammered good grief, and ran inside, slamming the door. They turned to look to see what could have scared him so. But all they could see was a young Auburn tressed girl. Nothing seemed odd about her, and they decided that following her would just be a red (laughs) (laughs) hair-ing. And that's when they heard it, from around the bushes. A pssst, barely audible above the sounds of some chirping yellow- Canaries nearby? Were canaries local to Minnesota? The duo didn't know. But they did follow the psst. Upon tracking the sound, they saw a beagle sitting on top of a (laughs) doghouse. They must have been hearing things, so they turned to leave, but then they heard it again. Psst. Turning back to the noise, they saw the beagle, and one of the yellow birds stuck into the doghouse. The dog going into his house wasn't weird, but the bird following him certainly was, and Sherlock, much to Watson's chagrin, decided to follow. Squeezing through the doghouse door, they found themselves on a large staircase leading into the dark. They followed it down, and at the bottom of the staircase was a bunker filled with maps, notes, science equipment, and monitors. All of the monitors were looking at one place, a quiet pumpkin patch. There was a tug on Sherlock's pant leg, and as he looked down, the beagle handed him a letter. It started, My name is Snoopy. I wrote you the letter to come here. Thank you for coming. And through the letter and an intricate game of charades and a tour around the doghouse bunker, Holmes and Watson learned that the town was being plagued by a creature called the Great Pumpkin. Over the years, it had been a childhood legend that most of the town didn't believe in, but this year was different. Every night, the entire town, and not just the children, would go and bring all of their greatest belongings to the field to give to the Great Pumpkin, hoping in its arrival, but it never showed up. However, in the morning, when the townsfolk awoke, all of their belongings would be gone from the field. Snoopy believed this was the doing of his arch nemesis, the Red Baron. Sherlock, feeling a kinship with this remarkably intelligent dog, offered to help. Watson asked Sherlock, Where might we even begin? And Sherlock answered, Elementary, dear Watson. Long pause. Sherlock continued, Literally, we'll start at the elementary school. And that's where they headed. And indeed, things were weird there. The kids were all large and round-headed, and the adults were unintelligible. Sherlock didn't have much experience with children, so it took him a while to learn that these children were all, in fact, just kids, big-headed and all, but he did notice something particularly odd. The kids were having a fundraiser. The fundraiser was selling cans of Red Bear and branded pumpkin, and according to the gold chart on the blackboard, all the children had been successful in selling canned pumpkin to the whole town. And this was particularly, particularly odd because Red Baron only sold frozen pizzas. These frozen pizzas were a secret pleasure of Sherlock's when he was alone in his studio. No one knew about it. So they opened a can and noticed trace amounts of scopolamine, which, if you don't know, is a way that people can use to make you extremely suggestible. Sherlock knew the villain must be using it to make everyone believe in the Greek pumpkin so that they could get their belongings and valuables and such— But who would have such knowledge of the mental condition? They returned to Snoopy, who confirmed that there was no therapist in town. However, there was a small psychiatrist booth run by the class bully Lucy. It was then that they knew they had found their culprit, but now they had to figure out how to get her to admit to her diabolical plan. They had noticed Lucy eyeing Charlie Brown, that that awkward boy they first met when they came into town. So they commandeered Charlie to flirt with her and offer her a muffin list with some of the pumpkin in it. Lucy, being a proud person, accepted the muffin offering and ate it in one bite. Upon doing so, Holmes jumped out and got her to spill the beans all about how she wasn't a kid of the town, but really Snoopy's arch nemesis, the Red Baron, how she felt she deserved all of the good things the town had to offer her. But the town never appreciated her, and so she took it into her own hands. Upon her confession, she was sent to detention and the pumpkin cans were destroyed. The mystery being solved, Sherlock and Watson returned to England, but Sherlock and Snoopy remained pen pals, helping each other solve the occasional mystery. The end.
3: Very, very cute. There are going to be a couple of common touch points with mine. I figured as much. So mine is Sherlock Holmes and the Beagle of the Baskervilles. Spoiler alert. There's a spoiler in the title. Okay. (laughs) Sherlock Holmes has a problem. He's been summoned to Dartmoor to investigate reports of a giant hound terrorizing the countryside. His friend and biographer, John Watson, has joined him. Watson, being slightly more inclined toward flights of fancy, worries that perhaps the moors are truly haunted by an impossibly large spectral hound, a hypothesis that Holmes finds quite unsupportable. But more than that, Holmes has a bigger challenge on his hands. It seems that shortly after his arrival, a carriage carrying a bunch of kids got stuck in a muddy patch on the road through Dartmoor, and then it broke an axle. The kids, a group of Americans, are all curious little people. One, named Linus, Holmes immediately deduces has severe anxiety issues, as he relies heavily on a security blanket as a coping mechanism. Linus's older sister, Lucy, seems to be a bit of a brute. Then there's a rather disheveled child named Pigpen, who seems to attract all the various flies in the surrounding area into his orbit. A rather musical young man named Schroeder is also part of the gang. Then there's an energetic young gal named Sally in the mix. And finally, there's a rather hopeless fellow called Charlie Brown. Always Charlie Brown. Never just Charlie, and Peppermint Patty isn't there, so there's no Chuck to speak of. The coachman, who was looking after the children, asks Holmes to keep an eye on them while the coach needs repairs. At least that's what Holmes thinks the coachman said. In truth, the driver spoke in such a way, like a muted trumpet, that it was quite impossible to make out what was really being said. While at first irritated, Holmes soon comes to the conclusion that the children might prove useful. Being a long way from home, Sherlock doesn't have access to his assortment of Irregulars who would normally gather up information on his behalf, and so he names this odd assortment of children his new Irregulars. Tasked with great purpose, the gang begins to help Holmes investigate. There is a great manor house in Dartmoor, and Schroeder finds himself there and encounters an amazing piano, upon which he plays a truly stupendous piece by Beethoven, which impresses Holmes a great deal. Lucy, meanwhile, sets up her own psychiatry booth, and through interactions with the locals begins to learn more about the general thoughts about the Moors. It seems the people of Dartmoor are particularly superstitious, and many seem all too inclined to accept that there is a ghostly hound haunting the area, though at least one fellow, a man named Jack Stapleton, seems a bit dodgy. Lucy charges everyone five cents, and then later complains that all the nickels she got are funny-looking. Linus and Holmes have some pretty deep philosophical discussions, and Linus is also quick to dismiss the ghostly dog hypothesis, believing instead that the creature haunting the Moors is, in fact, the Great Pumpkin. And so Linus decides to sneak out at night to wait for the Great Pumpkin's arrival, and the next morning he is nowhere to be found. But a little blue blanket is discovered half-buried in the mud, with a very large paw print next to it. Pigpen also disappears, but that just happens every time he steps outside because he blends right in with the mud and the moors. He's fine, though. Sally mostly just irritates John Watson a lot. As for Charlie Brown, he investigates as best he can, but being a bit clumsy, he is usually told to get out of the way after breaking or nearly breaking a vase or a window or a bust or whatever. And so Charlie Brown, while walking by himself and wondering if he'll ever be good at anything, stops to lean against a tree. Except it turns out it's not a tree. It's actually a support for a clever camouflage. As Charlie Brown leans against it, it causes the whole thing to come tumbling down, just as Sherlock is walking by. Holmes says, you've done it, you've solved the case! And indeed, revealed beneath the brush is Snoopy and Woodstock and Jack Stapleton, plus a pair of very big, very fake dog paws. Yep, turns out Snoopy, Woodstock, and Stapleton have been playing a bit of a prank on the locals, and while sheepish, they get off easy, particularly once the group finds Linus a mile down the road in a fetal position, but he makes a swift recovery once his blanket is returned. At the end, Sherlock Holmes turns to Charlie Brown and says, Charlie Brown, out of all the irregulars, You're the irregularist. The end.
4: Oh, I loved it. I felt like there were two stories in the same anthology. Yours and mine.
3: Yeah, (laughs) it's 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 two different. It's it's a what if comic book where your story is the right side up version on the front and then you have to flip it over upside down on the back. And then that's my story. Yes. Well, that was fun, but obviously just two different, (laughs) slightly different takes on how Sherlock Holmes and Charlie Brown would mash up.
4: We had completely different villains.
3: That's true. We just had mentions of some of the common touchstones, but that's to be expected, right? Like you have to have those touchstones in there. But if you out there have any suggestions or maybe you have your own idea of how this mashup would go you should get in touch with us. And the best way to do a long form one would be email lnc at iheartmedia.com. But there are other ways to get in touch with us. Aren't there, Ariel?
4: Yeah, you can reach out to us on social media at Twitter. We're lnc underscore podcast. And on Facebook and Instagram, we are Large neuron Collider. Uh, and please do reach out to us. We want to hear your opinions on the things we've talked about, topics you want us to talk about in the future. We love having that conversation with you.
3: Yep. And as always, if you enjoyed the show, you should make sure you like it, you know, give it a good rating somewhere, you know, maybe subscribe to it if you haven't, you filthy animal. And, and tell your friends, your friends, you,
4: you, you not so filthy animal.
3: <laughs> uh, we're getting a little Christmassy and it's we're well outside the Christmas zone, but I couldn't help it. All
4: right. Well, until <laughs> next awkward pause. I- Uh, Awkward Snoopy Paws Uh, Nice (laughs) I have been uh, Ariel Kasten
3: And I am always Jonathan Strickland